Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and she they pronouns the community engagement manager here at MCP and I am joined today by a deaf and hard of hearing teacher who is hard of hearing Tiffany Dreyer. Welcome Tiffany. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's so exciting to be in this space with you, and thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Um, and before we get started, we are doing a little something different today. We're doing a video, which is really, really cool. We've never done this before. So um, just to make sure that we're able to see each other and able to communicate and all of that good stuff. So um, what's bringing you joy lately? Wonderful. <laughs> Um, Tiffany, what's bringing you joy? Oh, what's bringing me joy is um, well, the students bring me joy every day. I mean, that's why I'm a teacher and I do this work. Um, I have the blessing of getting to be with my case of students over the years. So every day I get to see them and um, gotten to know them since kindergarten or I've started with them in high school. And now they're seniors and just as we talk about planning for graduation and post-secondary, it's, it's just exciting to be able to continue these relationships with them. And they're really grateful for them. Okay. Tony, I lost sound. I don't have any sound anymore. I muted. That's on there me. You go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> well um no i was just saying students are amazing so i'm really glad that they're bringing you joy um last night we actually i was in a group i was in a, a zoom meeting with a group of teachers and they were talking about looping with their students and how much they loved seeing the growth and yes. i've never had that opportunity so um but the teachers who are looping they're just like oh my gosh we love it it's so yes. great um so this is this is awesome uh that students are bringing you joy and you're able to see their growth from kindergarten to high school yeah depending on if i get to stay with them that long but like i have a fifth grader i've had since kindergarten right now and um just still seeing her as this like avid hockey player now compared to when she was in kindergarten and what she was doing then it's just um it's just a gift to be able to know them like that and continue on their, you know, journey with them as they're going through school. Oh, so, yeah. and I bet they love the consistency as well, right? Of having that adult just show up every single year in their learning journey. I, I love that for both of y'all. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so Tiffany, tell us more about who you are and how you started your MCP journey or rather just your education journey. Sure, absolutely. I'm, um, I've been teaching for over 20 years. And all through those years, I am an itinerant deaf or hard of hearing teacher. I work in a suburban district in the metro area of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, so more to the south of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I have, through my years, worked with early childhood to transition, but primarily kindergarten through 12th grade. And I've had some shifts this year for the first time in my career, where uh, working full-time itinerant, this year I'm actually doing part-time itinerant, and I finally got American Sign Language World Language class off the ground at my at one high school in my district. I've been pushing for 10 years now to get that to happen. So for this 22-23 school year, I have a beginning ASL class, which is a one-trimester class, um, offered as elective throughout the school year, and then we were approved for an ASL one to go through the whole year. So hopefully next year we'll have a licensed ASL TA teacher come in and do that and continue forward with ASL two, like branch out to the rest of the high schools. 
Um, but it's just been very exciting to be a part of that and kind of help manifest that. And what brought me to MCP was that I've been following MCP for quite some time, probably like a year to maybe two years. But because I'm special ed and I'm more like one-to-one small group, I wasn't quite sure how I could utilize MCP. But because I'm doing a gen ed now, like elective class as ASL, um, I wanted to see about using it because I've really seen going from SPED and having the opportunity to be with my students for years, but also um, like having the opportunity to be with them in such a small group that I can really develop relationships very strongly. I can get to know them really well. And my experience with Gen Ed and this classroom of like 35 students, I am, I, I didn't really appreciate the model. Like I didn't like being able to have to be in the room presenting and doing content and assessment. And I really can't get to know my kids. Like it doesn't really enable us to do that well. And especially give feedback as we're, you know, acquiring a new language and all that like pedagogical structure really what I found challenging and really hard to kind of wrestle with. So I decided to really go further into MCP over like winter, like really delve into it December and January. And I'll be starting my unit three for this trimester group in the next week. And I want to, I want to like roll out MCP, at least try it for unit three and maybe build for next trimester, the whole trimester. And if I do get to be the teacher next year, then I definitely would like to continue with it and explore it. It's been an ongoing discussion with other staff about how do we do blended learning that's more student-led, invites more student voice, really lays the learning on them, and um, gives them agency in that work, rather than the typical model of the teacher up at the front of the room doing the talking and they're supposed to be sponges taking it in. I just, I believe in projects. I believe in action. I believe in the social constructive sphere that I had to go through as a pre-service teacher in my undergrad, like just really inviting MCP to do that more than what I've seen traditionally. Yeah. And thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. Um, how did, how did you find out about MCP? I'm trying to remember, like I'm on so many like ed, like education listservs and email lists. So I wonder if it was just through like uh, Ed Week or um, Ed Utopia or something like that. Like I think I saw MCP through like the listing of articles or things like that. And I just continued exploring, signed up for the email list and just kept following as, you know, emails would come in and explanation and stuff like that. But I did the free course in December. Yeah. I love that so much. I know that I I did an all call in our Facebook group about like, hey, I need more support and I need someone to just kind of have this conversation with me about how to support our deaf and hard of hearing students and really our teachers as well, right? And so, and I was just so stoked when you had like reached out and was like, I'd love to have a conversation. So I'm really, really appreciative of your time and just you being able to share your story. And so, um, and I'm really excited to hear that there's, you know, the ASL classes that are at your school now. Um, Is this the first in a while? Like the first ever or? The first ever. This is our first class in the district. Um, They're in the metro area. Like we have so many, we have Minneapolis and St. Paul as our urban districts. And then we have so many um, outlying districts and probably about 50% of those districts in this, like what we call region 11 has a, ASL programs. So it had been my hope. We're the fourth largest district in the state and we should have that offering. And so I've been working on it for some time and, you know, finally success that we have it. So very excited. Yeah. And that's, again, like it's, it's exciting to have that. And also that it should have been a thing, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm really glad that your students have you to continue advocating for them. Um, and so I just, I guess for me, what's the, um, do you have a good number of students who are deaf and hard of hearing? At the high schools, we tend to have more because like all of our students are, you know, kind of coming from the elementary, middle schools, the high school. So yeah, we tend to have more, but um, maybe at the most we'll have 20 you know, 12 of like a dozen to 15 students at one time, it fluctuates. We're about 1% of the population. 
with students who are identified deaf or hard of hearing. And then for your ASL class, it's an elective, so students mm -hmm. can just sign up. Absolutely. So mostly, you know, mainstream hearing students that are interested, that have picked the course to learn and take part in the class. Yeah. And are, are you seeing a huge interest in that? Um, for sure. I think especially with COVID and all the like state and presidential announcements or communications that were going out with the, you know, picture in picture or they had the interpreter right next at the podium. Um, and for example, our here in the state of Minnesota, our uh, deaf interpreter that we had, Nick Zabko, was phenomenal. And she actually went viral just because she was so, um, so skillful and so expressive in her um, televised, you know, televised appearances with the governor. So like, she was just fantastic. And she did a lot of um, like interviews and sharing out about things like that. So I think with that presence, as well as like the CODA movie last year that won for Best Picture, um, there's just been a little bit more presence, I think, finally in our society to see ASL, to see it as a valid language, um, to see that people who use it as, you know, part of our society and just as easily accessible, skillful, you know, like everyone, that we could be incorporating this language much more than we have been. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I have to agree. Thank you for pointing that out, mm -hmm. that I, I have, I didn't even take a step back and notice just how much media um, ASL has been getting, which mm -hmm. I think is really, really awesome. Because again, growing up, that wasn't even an option mm -hmm. to learn about. Um, and so I know that my sister, um, she took ASL and she was just like so excited to take it in high school. And I'm just like, oh, I, I didn't have that option. That would have been... Yeah, that would have been so cool. So cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It would have been wonderful to have had that opportunity too, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, but I'm, I'm glad that now moving forward that there's definitely a lot more like televised, like it's it's shown, it is part of society. Like this is a norm. Exactly. And so this is not something that we should just think about last minute, um, which, you know, I'm, I was kind of talking to you before we started recording of like, oh my gosh, captions. I <laughs> didn't think about that. And, and that's just like a privilege of mine, right? Like I need to really be mindful and just making sure that captions are an easy thing. And I need to have that on all the time. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'm always like, oh, don't let it be the last thing you think about. And then I catch myself thinking about that as the last thing. And so it's definitely a shift. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, listeners, I was I was really telling Tiffany, like, thank you so much again, like teaching me this is a learning curve for me. And so um, just kind of calling out things that I lack, which is, which is okay. It's good so that moving forward, I can do better. Right. Um, for sure. So, so this month we're focusing on supporting all learners and we're going to focus like, you know, as we all know, we're going to focus on deaf and hard of hearing learners and educators, of course. And so what is one thing that you wish everybody knew about the deaf and hard of hearing community? Um, that, uh, for the deaf and hard of hearing community, that abilities are all present. Like, there, it's a communication access issue, and it's not cognitive, which I think a lot of people like defer to. And many of my students, like even myself, like we occasionally get treated like our cognitive abilities are at fault when it's not. It's the communication. So I think that's the most important thing for all of us as educators, especially, is to remember that, that it's not reflective on the student's intellectual ability. It's not reflective on, you know, the cognitive testing that we do or things like that. It is reflective on what's happening communication-wise. And that involves all those things we've learned about communication, about the speaker, the receiver, the environment, the message, all those things. These are things that we need to be cognizant about, not like blaming the intellect, which is, I, I wish as a society we were more open and acceptive of that, accepting totally of that in a better way. I mean, that just 
that's 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 great that you were able to name that right and I feel like now I want to just skip on over to like the <laughs> next couple of questions because this is really important right it's a communication piece and not a cognitive piece it's not an intellectual piece and there's no reason for us hearing folks to assume that like it's a lot more than just communication right um and so thank you for naming the thing that's you know I'm getting used to naming the thing and so people get really uncomfortable honestly when it comes to not being able to communicate with other people right and so for example in my experience right like people weren't comfortable speaking to my parents because it was assumed that my parents wouldn't be able to understand English and I think now that you said the communication versus the cognitive part that was I think was really frustrating for me as a child growing up as an immigrant right Um, and so I can only imagine or assume like what deaf and hard of hearing people go through um, when it comes to communication. So how can people, hearing people really get over that fear of messing up and being misunderstood? Um, let me clarify, like, do you mean messing up and, and being misunderstood as a, as a speaker or communicator to a deaf hard of hearing person? Or do you mean like as a receiver? Like, I think, I think a little bit of both, maybe. Okay. Um, I th- I think it to to really like pull ourselves out of the fact. Um, how do we? How do I put it in the best way? Like how to pull ourselves out of like the equation of it or the element of it. Sometimes we really take it personally. Um, we really think that we've messed up or we offended or we failed or. Um, as deaf or hard of hearing people, we miss things and we ask for clarification. And, and you know, in the deaf or hard of hearing community, we say, like, when people say never mind to us, when you hear, oh, never mind, don't worry about it, it's like a, like a swear word. It's like offensive to us. Because if we didn't care, we wouldn't ask. We really do want to be involved and be part of the communication and be part of the community, be part of, like, that experience. And when people tell us, oh, never mind, it's not worth repeating. It's, it's just, it really is a hard thing to take in. Um, and when we're speaking to others where we think their language is so, um, what we think, like, emergent level or like not as complex, and then we think they, their cognitive ability is not that strong, then it's not. It's the it's the language and it's the communication piece. So when we come up to situations where we misunderstand or um, our students misunderstand, it's to really remember the communication piece and try again. Like we're, we're all working in that space to understand, to learn and to process. And there's all those elements and factors. So just, I mean, to hold space and reflect Sometimes it's really just, as educators, we just need to slow down (laughs) and keep all of that in mind, allow for wait time, (laughs) allow ourselves, like, a moment to process and not rush or hurry, like, just to keep those things in mind. My students are duly diagnosed in terms of unilateral hearing loss and attention deficit and really trying to juggle where their attention is and maybe what they need um, for repetition, maybe what they need for environmental like support and focus like it's just being mindful of all the accommodations our kids need yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. tiffany you're Mm -hmm. literally just my mind it's just like blown (laughs) right um because again you said a couple of really 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 powerful things um one of them especially is not taking it personally um i know that we're shifting society is shifting to a more grace, like giving ourselves grace and embracing our mistakes, right? And so, and not thinking that it has something to do with us. And like you said, taking ourselves out of the equation. Mm -hmm. The goal is to understand each other um, and not, oh my gosh, I messed up, so I'm Mm -hmm. not going to repeat it. Or they didn't hear me, so oh well, I'm just going to keep moving, right? Um, And I think, like you said, it's literally that sense of urgency that we've had as a society, of just like go 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 Mm -hmm. go Mm -hmm. um and slow down has been a phrase that has been coming up over and over and Mm -hmm. over for me um and and I'm really glad that you're you're saying that because 
It is important to slow down. It is important to wait for processing to happen. And it is totally okay to repeat yourself more than one time. Yes. Yes. Okay. These are, these are really, they're nice. They're good reminders. I feel like I should know this. Like I know this, right. But just to hear you say that too, I'm like, Oh, duh. (laughs) Yeah. I, and, and as educators to kind of keep that in mind, I think because I've been a hard of hearing person, like a deaf, a hard of hearing teacher for so long that I repeat quite often naturally, like I'm just processing and I'm processing again, but I verbally give my people that are receiving my message, like my classroom, my students in my room, like I'm repeating often. And I think sometimes we, when we think about like automatically or like innately bringing those strategies in and using them, sometimes we're bringing that gift to our kids without us, like without consciousness, but then, you know, without having to like automatically giving that gift to them, so to speak, Mm -hmm. like they may, they may not be aware that they needed that. And Mm -hmm. so we are providing it and they don't have to advocate all the time for it. We as educators are providing the accommodations, sometimes innately, sometimes consciously. We have to work Mm -hmm. on them, owning up to what we need to provide in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. most definitely. And something to, to keep in mind that the accommodations that you have for just a group of students, that can actually be helpful for all students. Yeah. Um, And I think time and time again, when I have conversations with educators, right, it's like, oh, well, my students are lower. And I'm like, that just means your students need more support, more scaffolding, um, and really just more guidance. It doesn't mean anything but that, right? So um, let's create these accommodations that will allow for our students to feel successful in the classroom, regardless of whatever, right? Um, And I know sometimes as educators, we also see, we also get overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, 35 students in one class. That's a Mm -hmm. lot. It is. And Mm -hmm. to be able to like help each, like each student, right? It's very daunting to think about. And so um, I think like giving space for like, yeah, it's going to be overwhelming, and yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But we should never shun any kid out. We shouldn't feel or take anything personally because we are there to serve our students in the best way that we can. Um, th- these are these are great, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we talked about accommodations. Um, and so... I know you've mentioned a couple of things. Let's go ahead and just share again, like two to three things that educators can do to better accommodate, support, and advocate for advocate for learners who are deaf and hard of hearing. As um, as a DHH teacher, and then as I'm thinking through my planning for MCP into my ASL class, um, think about curriculum and think about the environment. Like those are the two main domains when we look at how do we want to um, integrate accommodations and provide support to our DHH students. So for curriculum, I've seen a lot on like the Facebook group, uh, the discussion about Ed's Puzzle, but using, um, using your videos and having captions on them. So I know I've seen like commentary, it's, it's hard because it takes time. If there's any way for districts or buildings to provide um, like captioning support, like we we have it because at our school we have students who are using an interpreter or a transliterator or they're using a captionist. So we have staff that provide a- asynchronous captioning support for teachers. Like they'll go into YouTube and do the cap- auto-generated caption editing. They'll go into Almara.org and they'll add the captions in. So if there's any way to provide that um technical support, it would be fantastic because I think that would take some time off our us as teachers having to provide that combination. But really, it's so important because auditorily, we're struggling, especially with voiceover narrations. If you're screenshotting, like screen recording and you're writing and you're talking, 
we're going to really have a hard time understanding. Like we'll hear that there's sport, there's, I'm sorry, speech, but the clarity may not always be there. And so think about having captions all the time. Um, Also think like your EL students are going to benefit from seeing the language on the screen, not just our DHH kids. Um, Captioning provides that vocabulary too. It's like an additional modality that it re-exposes over and over again, that word or term or concept over and over. So it really strengthens our kids' performance over time to have that repetition and availability. So captioning is really good um, for thinking curriculum-wise. In terms of environment, think about primarily always refer to what those students' IEPs and 504s require. Often it's that they have equipment that they're using. So you as a teacher might have the direct auditory input microphone that the that you put on, and then the student has their receivers on to get that direct input, like you're the teacher on their shoulder talking in their ear. It's such a benefit from a distance, like, you know, communication volume decreases over distance. Um, especially if there's background noise present, your voice on their shoulder is like easy. It allows for the cognitive effort to go to the information and the learning and not spending so much cognitive effort on hearing. So that's what we're trying to do too with all the amplification support. Um, your students might need to be seated in specific, specific places in the classroom, like accessible to you as a teacher or in a group or whatever on one side of the room to have their good ear on one side or, you know, or depending on what side their good ear is on. Um, And then the last thing is when I think about MCP2 and like you have your blended learning, but you might have small group activities, you might have your one-to-ones, just be conscious of the environmental noise that's happening in your room. So if decibels start to rise, if it starts to get louder, our deaf, hard of hearing students might be having to manage or like, where's this, what sound should I be paying attention to? I might be struggling to hear, like, especially for me with, with a lot of environmental noise happening, I'm, I'm programmed to have the speech be clearer, but when environment is powerful, I, I can't process all of it. And sometimes I've, like my students, I want to go out in the hall or I want to move to a quieter place so that I can process easier. And again, it's, it's that reminder of cognitive effort going to learning and not to managing all the auditory or hearing information because it fatigues our students, really. I've I've had stories of students who've gone home and are just exhausted and it's hard to do their homework because they've spent so much energy just listening at school. So it's it's what we can do as educators to support um, the environment in those ways to allow the learning to be the key. That's what we want. I mean, and this is making me think too, Tiffany, you know, how a lot of educators and me myself as well, right? Oh, it's an organized chaos. The classroom <laughs> is an organized chaos. Everyone is doing their thing. It's a beautiful, like, chaos, right? Mm-hmm. But now what I'm hearing from you is that this could be really overwhelming. Depending on, yeah, yeah. depending on what you're allowing in terms of activity and the environment. So maybe think about, where can there be placement to allow maybe a quieter space? Or if you're if you allow um, students to like step out and sorry, <laughs> I am still at school. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> um, um, maybe to think about if students need to like step out of the classroom into the hallway or into a workspace across the hall or whatever. Many of my, especially my high schoolers have asked for that. Like, can I go out in the hall? Can I go to the table um, down in the corner space and um, move my group there? And then I'll position myself. I'll bring my mic. Like our students also are good in advocating for themselves, especially the, you know, our older elementary, middle school, high school, they know what they need to. It's really, um, creating the space that encourages their advocacy and welcomes it, that, that as well. Yeah. Wow. And, and again, this is something that can be provided for all students, right? Like an option. Hey, if you need a quieter space, go here. Cause so you're not singling out your students, right? Like you're not singling out. Uh, Tiffany, what did you call a D D H 
what is it? D H O H? Is that what you were saying? Deaf or hard of hearing, D H H. Oh, D H H. Okay, cool. Thank you for teaching me that. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so instead of, you know, singling out our DHH kids, just being like, mm-hmm. hey, if you need a quieter space, go here. That's an option. Um, right. uh, so I really, yeah. really appreciate you stating that. Um, another thing too, Tiffany, um, I was speaking to another educator who's also hard of hearing and he works in an elementary school and he was saying that uh, his schools had provided speakers yes. um, all around his classroom. And again, like you were saying, environment, right? Like he had to be really intentional with putting those speakers where they need to be so that he can hear. Um, and that, again, just something that I would have never considered. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate you pointing this out, that this is something, again, that needs to be said and needs to, like, people need to be aware. Yeah. And to add on to that story, too, like, some of our buildings have incorporated um, teacher mics with speakers in the room. So it ta- it really helps teacher vocal strain. And it also brings the teacher voice like 360. Like it, it allows the teacher voice to be present in the room from the front to the back much more easily. I know I've, I've, I've talked to many educators over the years who have appreciated that system because, you know, some teachers have dealt with losing their voices um, mm-hmm years into their you know career were because of the vocal strain of that and having that system is beneficial to all our kids it's like it enables those kids who like to be in the back of the room sometimes like they're accessing your voice just as well when we have those systems in place and so that's beneficial for everyone so I'm really grateful when we when I see those systems in some buildings because it's just helpful for everybody Yeah. And now I feel so ridiculous because I remember um, people, educators would typically use a mic and speaker system to be Mm -hmm. able to talk over students, right? Right. As a way to manage behaviors. And I always thought that, no, like the louder you get, the louder the students will get. And that defeats the purpose of having a mic. And now you're telling me, no, the mic is, is, this is an accommodation, it mm-hmm. is for everyone to be able to hear what you're saying. And I'm like, that's just a different perspective for a teacher, Mike. Yes. And I, I really wouldn't look at it as, I really wish you wouldn't look at it as like, it's a way to be, manage behavior because that's never what it should be. Like, then that, that means that we need to be doing something differently with our, manner, you know, behavior management responses and techniques. Like, we should be doing something entirely different. We shouldn't be raising our voices. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I and I completely agree with that statement, mm-hmm. right? And so because for me, I, I have a pretty loud voice and um, <laughs> and I can project, right? And so, but you stating like, hey, we want to save our vocal cords. I'm like, mm-hmm. huh, I could have had that in my classroom. <laughs> I didn't have to do a lot of stern, yeah. loud talking. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh Especially especially just to add, like during COVID, when we were doing the mask wearing, it was such um, to lose that visual access. Um, and I didn't realize, of course, how much I lost with that, with the, having the masks on, that we couldn't really understand each other. I think in general, many people learned like, oh, I use the face so much for like lip reading, but also facial cues and everything. And without like muffling and sometimes we went through that stretch with plastic shields that having the mics um, available for the classrooms in general was really benefit was really helpful during that time and I'm seeing classrooms continue even more like now but then pre-COVID because those systems were so helpful so just to add because I think we learned so much with having masks and um, plastic shields especially for our deaf and hard of hearing kids it was a a significant um, issue we all had to work through across our country with dealing with that. Yeah. And I think there was an educator, if I remember correctly, that went viral because they had created a mask, but it was clear. So you can yeah. see their mouth still. And I was like, wow, again, something we don't consider. Mm-mm. No, we still have that available. Um, Marley Matlin, who's a famous deaf actress, and heavily like involved in the deaf community and one has won 
you know, an Oscar for her role from many years, you know, Best Picture many years ago, as well as the current work she still does. She just like directed a, a TV episode a couple weeks ago that aired. And there was a documentary like clips on her working and she is deaf and she's signing. She has an interpreter with her, but she had the clear mask. And I see that quite often with other um, deaf people in the community or interpreters, even as they're working in the community and, and using protection because COVID still a thing and people still want protection. So having the clear mask was very, very nice. Is that mm-hmm. easily accessible though, Tiffany? The clear mask, the clear mask, mm-hmm. you mean? Um, mm-hmm. You can still get them. I think if you search online and want them, um, they've been good for that. For the reason of, of like signing is the best way. Um, but if you're talking in a clear mask, it's not the most ideal. Um, they're really meant for like facial access. So got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, and again, thank you for bringing that up, right? Because I know that I had a deaf friend in DC when I was living in DC, and she could read lips. And so I can't imagine like with that being gone. It just takes away a lot, right? Um, so thank you for naming that. And thank you for saying like, you know, it's still happening now. Um, so we just need to be more cognizant of this. Being more aware is the first step. So then it'll um, change how we move forward, right? Um, okay, yeah. so listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Tiffany's experiences and expertise. Hey listeners, it's Tony Rhodes here with an announcement. When we have additional seats available for our virtual mentorship program, we always pull educators from our waitlist first. If you've always wanted to join the virtual mentorship program but couldn't get funding, join our waitlist at modernclassrooms.org/waitlist. All right. And we're back with Tiffany. So, Tiffany, how can people educate themselves more about the deaf and hard of hearing community? Um, There's there's so many resources out there. I would, you know, I would particularly, depending on how you want to, like, focus initially, if you're really interested in deafness, I would research... um, there's so many people online to research, but I would, I would check out. I'm trying to think because I th- I follow so many um, influencers, um, people on social media right now. So that's kind of the best thing I can think of. So if you do like famous people with hearing loss, famous or famous deaf people, and just bring up a list and start looking at who comes up for you. I know um, just recently, The Last of Us, which is like a very popular video game and now TV show, there was a deaf act, young deaf actor on there, and he's been getting a lot of attention. So if you just follow where you are seeing deaf people in media, then start researching that. Um, t- Take a look at um, organizations organizations that are local that you might want to investigate. Um, there, there are deaf clubs in you know in in cities, and you know check that out online. Um, in terms of hard of hearing, I think what would be really helpful for us who are predominantly like born hearing or have more of a hearing culture, check just research what hearing hearing loss is. Um, One of the most impactful things I've experienced in my field is when we actually do a hearing loss simulation. And there's many, um, even if you just Google that, there's many websites that provide a hearing loss simulation. And you can click, you can like bring up audio clips of various like nature sounds, speech, environmental sounds, music, dance, like And at different levels, you can get a sense of what hearing loss is like. And once you, like, get that experience, once you feel it, then you understand, okay, now I get why accommodations are so, you know, so beneficial, so helpful, and so needed, like, so required, because our kids are working so hard 
our deaf and hard of hearing community is working so hard to try to thrive in a very hearing dominant, you know, ableist society like that. Um, it, it really is a helpful thing in that approach to try to tr- attempt to do that. Check out those websites. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't even consider, right? Like the simulation, I think that that would be really powerful to just kind of go through. And I know, Tiffany, when I was talking to this other educator, he had said that um, he went on a field trip with his elementary school kids, and it was a, a wildlife, like a nature walk. And a lot of the activities were just listening to wildlife. And he just realized he couldn't hear anything. And he said that that was probably one of like, the strangest things to just be like, wow, this is really, it's just silence. I can't, I don't, it's missing. Um, And so when we talked about his hearing loss journey, right. Of just like, he said, it's not the big things. It's the little things. Yeah. Um, I I can share some examples of like in my classroom, when the phone, um, when the office is calling for a student or whatever, and the phone goes off, there is a light, but I'm on the other side of the room. I can't hear it. I can't see it. And so I need to rely on my students that are nearby it to like wave at me and get my attention so that I can go and answer the phone because I don't pick it up. If I want to like you have your key fob for your car and you lock your car, you usually hear the alarm. You hear it open or unlock. I don't like I have to turn around and, you know, actually, you know, physically look at my car to make sure that I locked it before I walk away because I can't hear that it did it. Um, Those are the kind of examples that I'm dealing with daily where I just need to make sure I'm visually supporting myself. I'm using people in my space to help me because I I don't get it. And um, my my students are learning like like they see that I can't hear those things. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something to be an educator, like, you know, the adult in the space dealing with that in front of your kids. It's also, you know, it's a vulnerable thing. And that's where we just be ourselves mistake or, you know, you know, whatever happens, we just do our best and let them oh, know. To... I think, go ahead. Right. No, 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 go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, to let them know and like be open with that. Like even today I was using a slideshow and because I'm, been special ed and not general ed. I'm learning how to operate um, the 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 screen, like to freeze a screen so I can change my screen and, and then like go back or whatever. I don't know how to control like the overhead and I'm learning. And I was very open with the kids today. I, I was just like, I've never done this before until this year. So thank you. Like because one, one student told me, can you freeze it? And then you can see, and then you can go back. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. You know, like it's just... It's being able to admit, like, I am not the expert in the front of the room. And my kids are actually helpful and give me a lot of grace. And I appreciate that. So that's part of, I think, just human experience, you know, being mm-hmm. showing our as we go. So, yeah. Yeah. And that was what I was just going to add, too, is like, we're human beings, right? Yes. We're not perfect. So we're going to mess up. But I think that I would push for us to mess up than to never, ever learn and never have to say anything and just stay in our comfort zone. Right. Um, And I know that, you know, through this conversation with you, there's definitely been a lot of like, oh, I just want to like sucker punch myself because like (laughs) there's been so many like misconceptions and, you know, like things that I was thinking about that was pretty problematic and or really just a privileged, entitled, ableist way of thinking, right? And so it's like, okay, give myself grace. I didn't know, but now moving forward, I do know. And so just making sure, again, like you said, the curriculum and environment piece, that really resonates with me Um, because those are two really easy, right, ways to accommodate to our DHH um, students. And so... um, I know we we touched about we touched on schools doing a better uh, job of serving our students, right? Our DHH students. And so, is there anything else that you wanted to add on about what schools could do to better serve our DHH community? I I you know other than like really bringing in ASL, like really really supporting the you know our deaf hard of hearing students as a whole. Um, to also see our hard of hearing kids. I think it's easier to see our deaf students come in who are using an interpreter, 
who are using cued speech, who have a captionist with them, and um, they have that like access team person with them, which makes them much more visible and, and like seen. But we have our hard of hearing kids who look very much like everyone else. They might have hearing aids on, they might have one hearing aid on, or we have our kids on the other end of the spectrum that have fluctuating hearing due to ear infections. So they may have periods where their hearing levels are down because they've got ear infections going on in their in their middle ears and stuff, and then that's got to resolve, and then they're fine again, and they're back up to normal. So especially with our young ones, our babies, our preschoolers, our elementary kids that are getting older, and we don't see them. We just think they're not listening. We just think they're not paying attention. And um, they're balancing um, a world where they're not deaf enough, so mm -hmm. they don't use ASL, they're, they're oral and they use English, or they're not like hearing not enough. They still need repetition, they need support to access. And we as like hearing people in general are like, have no patience. I, I, I want us to remember that we approach them as they're not burdens. Like our hard of hearing especially really take kind of that messaging sometimes because we forget they look like everybody else. And actually that's not the case. So I really invite us all to keep in mind that hearing is a spectrum and putting a hearing aid on doesn't solve it. We're really also dealing with the environment, the communication, the message, all of those factors it's not like glasses where a glasses can do so much an easy correction or contacts. It's hearing is so much more than that. And it's also what we're processing. So just to keep in mind that the hearing sense as a hearing system is so complicated. And we have our kids in front of us that reflect that complexity. So to keep that openness and to keep that, um, keep that like in the back of our mind to remember that our, our kids are still in front of us. They look like they're achieving their normal, but to always kind of like check in and make sure, check in and, and see. Don't always ask like, can you hear me? Or is, you know, a typical yes question. Like, um, you know, today, today is Monday, right? Like, you know, or something like that. To always ask like an absurd question to check in. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> now you're listening. <laughs> like, and, and now to just check to make sure that the environment is working, you know? So it's um, just to remember all those things. I think if we just do that as a whole for all our kids, our kids that have such mental health needs, our kids that maybe like physically need support in, in, accessing things. Our kids that are dealing with, you know, writing skill challenges or reading challenges or whatever, that we're doing what we can to support and scaffold. But universal design of, you know, UDL for learning is, is workable for all kids and just keeping that in mind for everyone. And often what we do to make things accessible actually supports all, you know, especially with the hearing part, it just supports other, other students in our room. So keeping that in mind. Thank you for letting me talk about it. I could, I'm passionate. I love it. I, I believe in it so much. So thank you very much for letting me talk about all that. I appreciate it. No, I, Tiffany, I feel like I am definitely going to continue mm -hmm. reaching out to you because again, this is something that I am pretty ignorant in um, and I need to definitely learn more. And so, and this is, I'm inviting our listeners, I'm inviting our community to also just learn more, right? That's the first step is be self-aware and then learn more and then start having those, those actionable next steps to really create a more inclusive and accessible classrooms because- yeah. Ultimately, yeah. that's what we want, right? We want every single student, regardless of any label, regardless of any ability, regardless of anything, to be successful in the classroom. Um, and I think teachers get in this profession because they want to make sure our youth are taken care of and, and they're yes. educated and they can advocate for themselves. And so... Um, something too that like kind of like that just resonated with me so much Tiffany and I never even thought about it is that whole trying to 
figure that sense of belongingness, right? When you were mm-hmm. talking about hard of hearing students of like, they're not deaf enough, but they're mm-hmm. also not hearing enough. And so they're having to navigate two worlds and trying to figure out where they fit in. And I never even thought to consider that, right? It's just like, oh, well, I'm thinking about, you know, me being an immigrant, me being non-binary, me being queer. And then it's like, oh, like I never even thought that like hard of hearing, deaf community, right? Like there's a lot to navigate in just that one piece of identity. And just thank you. Thank you for making me more aware. Yes, absolutely. I, I think we, we don't really think about that in the deaf community and, and, you know, the deaf community is a community. There's so many identities within it and all the things that, you know, I have, I have learned, you know, I've, I've been signing for 30 years and I have learned over time and I continue to like, that's just the nature of being a community and how we all mm-hmm. are together and involved. But yeah, I, I, even as a pre in my pre-service program, it always was like, being a deaf teacher was the thing because you get to use ASL. And actually, 90% of our students are in mainstream classrooms trying to, you know, you know, be successful in the mainstream setting, not in like the deaf school or programs that are ASL as the as the language and the environment. It's not it, that's only a small, small percentage of our population. So there's so many hard of hearing kids that are navigating our mainstream educational system and to keep them supported. Cause again, they're, they are like navigating on a daily basis because communication, I had a school psychologist say this to me a couple of years back. Communication is our language is the currency of school. And I sat with that going, wow. Yeah. Like, because that's what our kids are navigating is language. And when my students in particular are dealing with the accessibility of hearing and the language, but also learning the knowledge, like the background knowledge to things, developing their schema, like adding vocabulary, trying to pass the ACT at a good score, like all those things, they're doing that every single day because their exposure to language is different. It's not uh, not on the equal level. So all of that support is needed. So more, more I could talk about. But thank you for letting me share about that. It's just our hard of hearing kids really, um, there are not many of them, but there's many kids that are just navigating that journey that really reflects communication and, and language, which we're all navigating. Yeah, I mean, just going back to what you said in the beginning, right? It's all communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely a phrase that I need to, that that's probably going to stick with me for a while is that language is the currency of schools. And that, that just, that makes so much sense and it resonates with me. Um, who that's a lot to process, Tiffany. <laughs> oh my God. Another episode that's making me sweat. <laughs> I think I already know what your answer is, but um, what goal do you have in the future? Um, I, goal as in anything, you mean anything or MCP related? <laughs> it can be anything. It doesn't have to be MCP related. <laughs> I think where I'm at now as an educator is um, – I am both like overwhelmed with this general education, like mainstream environment, which is so new to me after, you know, teaching for over 20 years in special ed. But I'm so excited to like think about, um, to think about MCP in this way of centering the student, um, putting more of the learning on the student, becoming more of a facilitator, but um, inviting joy like between the blended learning opportunities, the small group, um, the progress tracking and all that, you know, and realizing that all, all kids are going to buy in and, mm-hmm. and, and how they pace is going to be very different. But the, the excitement of being able to maybe to develop more close relationships with kids and to, to think about 
grading. Like I'm still processing as people are having dialogue in faith in the Facebook group and other things like how do we grade in a way that like really centers learning and not a score, not a letter. Like how can we do that? And I'm still wrapping my head around like the must do's, the should do's and the aspire to do's. And I'm I'm actually putting must do assignments in my Schoology like um LMS right now for my students. So we're getting used to that language a little bit. Um, but to like do all that in a way that fosters equity, like reflects what's in my room, um, not only with like, you know, special ed and my lens of deaf or hard of hearing primarily, but the all, all abilities, all label, all identities that are in the room and being very responsive to that. Like, being relevant in that way and, you know, incorporating all the breaker, like um, Golden Muhammad and um, mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry, Zaretta Hammond. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, cultural, you know, cultural relevancy and rigor and brain, you know, development and responsiveness, like bringing all of that in, in a way that supports all of our students and again, at the same time, being vulnerable, you know, journeying it with them, being human, like really changing the way our educational system has really focused on this industrial old centuries old model of, of, you know, the information from one person and pushing our kids through, but inviting learning to be a very different way. And I'm kind of excited MCP is present in that way to do all that and and then what we can bring as educators, each of us in our way. So that's my goal is like um, really see how MCB plays out for me over the next like four or five months to the end of the school year. And then um, if I am the ISL one teacher next year to see how I can grow that and experiment with it more. That's my goal. And I, mm-hmm. I love that. Something that came up for me, Tiffany, is that, you know, you're saying this industrialized schooling, right, of just like teaching, 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 and just push them out. Um, and we've always said student-centered, but it hasn't been student-centered. Mm-hmm. I feel like now it has been a lot of, and I don't, I'm, it's an unpopular opinion, but I feel like it's teacher-centered in a way that makes teachers comfortable with how they teach as opposed to being responsive to how diverse and beautiful their students are, right? So it's kind of like, this is something I tell teachers all the time too, is like, we teach the way we're taught and we need to disrupt that because clearly it's not working and we get a we get a new group of students every year. So we can really accommodate to those students' needs and have representation and mm-hmm. have really conversations of allowing them to show up as they are and not yeah. what they think their teachers sh- want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, definitely shifting that that focus and shifting that center to really to really just center our students. Our mm-hmm. students are incredible. They do amazing things. And and when they yeah. feel like the teacher supports them, when they feel like the teacher actually likes them as human beings, they're so like they're magical. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like just what comes out of them and the gifts. Mm-hmm. You as an educator, like just to be able to be a part of that and receive that is also, you know, awesome. That's a gift too. So yeah. I, you know, we learn so much from that when they do that with us. So yes. Ah, okay. <laughs> I swear we can keep going, Tiffany. Um, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, I am on. Um, I'm on like a typical platform. So I am on Facebook. Um, Tiffany Johnson Dreher is my profile name. Um, on Twitter, I am Tiffany DHH um, underscore ED for Deaf Heart of Hearing Ed. So if you just do a Google search of my name, you'll find me. I'm not so much on Instagram. Um, and I, in terms of email, Tiffany.Dreher at gmail.com. Um, any of those avenues are a wonderful ways to get in touch with me, to find me on social media or to connect with me. And I welcome anyone like more commentary. If you have questions, if you have like different things to add to this discussion, please like 
I'm happy because I, I am one deaf or hard of hearing teacher in Minnesota. There's so many of us with expertise around the country. And I, I love the world language teachers that post in the MCB group because I'm trying to learn from what you're doing. And I just, I welcome anything that people want to share, ask questions about or talk more about. Keep the conversation going, right? As opposed to being afraid of having the conversation. Um, well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for providing this brave space for me and to continue learning from you as well and just embracing all of my commentary. Um, and so I just, I appreciate you so much. I don't think you know how much I appreciate you uh, teaching me today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a, a gift to be able to talk about all of this. I really yeah. appreciate that. It's it's about time, right? <laughs> we're 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 gonna do better. I'm gonna do better. Um, okay, so listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org, and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast at modernclassrooms.org slash one twenty seven. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday, so be sure to check there. Check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching, have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.